Welcome to Silicon Valley Trends, a free podcast series published by Silicon Valley Business School. I'm your host, David Smith. At Silicon Valley Business School, we provide affordable, real-world online business education to everyone, everywhere, and guide entrepreneurs towards success with their startup ventures. This episode is called Understanding Venture Capital Investors, and is taken from the material in our Raising Finance for Startups course. If you're interested in raising funds from venture investors, you really need to know how they work. We'll talk about the foundation of venture capital, modern portfolio theory, how funds are formed for limited times, how decisions are made to invest, how they're organized and managed, and from this brief introduction, you'll get a good idea as to what they're looking for when venture capital funds are evaluating new investment opportunities. So let's start our discussion on venture capital with an introduction to modern portfolio theory. An investor is able to reduce its exposure to risk through diversification. The risk is reduced when spread across numerous investments. Modern portfolio theory follows the old adage, don't put all your eggs in the same basket. The risk of one investment decreasing in value is cancelled out by the probability of another investment increasing in value. Modern portfolio theory calculates that in a growing market, the risk of the whole portfolio losing value is almost eliminated with somewhere between 10 and 30 diverse investments. Venture capital investors are usually organized as general partnerships, with one or more individuals acting as the general partner, and outside investors in the fund acting as limited partners. This structure has been mirrored in funds that opt for the new LLC form of business entity, where the general partner can be formed as an LLC, and the fund itself can be formed as another LLC. Each fund has a fixed term, usually 10 years. Investments are made in stages throughout the 10-year period and the fund is liquidated at the end of the 10-year term. The proceeds of the liquidation of the fund are generally shared among the limited partners, as the carry, usually calculated at 20%, is retained by the managers, the fund's general partners. Rules for how the carry is shared between the partners can become sophisticated and resemble partnership agreements in that senior partners can negotiate larger percentages than junior partners. In addition to the carry, the venture fund's general partners share a management fee, usually in the region of 2% of the total fund per year. So a $1 billion fund will translate to a $20 million a year management fee for the venture capital fund's partners. Over the 10-year life of the fund, this accounts for 20% of the fund's value, and this is payable regardless of the profitability of the investments. So over a 10-year fund, one which is a $1 billion fund, the management fee would be $200 million, $20 million a year. In the first few years of the life of the fund, the venture capitalists will invest in a portfolio of investments, usually 10 to 30 30 startup companies. During the last few years, the fund will work towards liquidating these portfolio companies. The time from startup to exit 
for startup companies is generally considered to be around seven years. So the fund would usually like to make the bulk of its investments during the first three years so that the portfolio can be liquidated before the end of the 10-year term. Under federal securities regulation, only accredited investors are allowed to invest in venture capital funds in the United States. This means companies or organizations with several, several million dollars in assets or wealthy individuals. Many funds are backed by large institutional investors such as pension funds. The venture capital business model is based on the chance that one or more of the portfolio companies will hit a home run, which will result in a huge return to the fund. This is usually achieved through a high-profile IPO. So venture capital firms historically have been generally focused on finding the next Google or Facebook. Under the modern portfolio theory, each company in the portfolio has to be a candidate for a home run. Considering the high failure rate of portfolio companies, VCs tend to focus on investments that have a potential return of 5x, 10x, or even higher. There was one fund I met that their minimum return they were looking for was a 30x, with a five to seven year time period. So the model is unprofitable if the successful exits generate only a two to three x return. Now a 200 to 300% return might sound like a compelling business plan, but it doesn't meet the requirements of venture capital funds that need huge successful exits to cover the losses they incur by all their failed investments. If you consider that 90% of startups fail, one success has to cover the cost of nine failures. As a form of risk mitigation under modern portfolio theory, a single venture capital fund will rarely provide the whole round of funding for a company. They essentially share the round with other investors. One VC acts as the lead investor, negotiates terms and appoints one of its partners to the board of directors. The other investors then follow along and adopt the same investment terms. The VCs switch roles in different deals. The follower in one deal may become the lead in another deal. Although often organized as LLCs, limited liability companies today, venture capital organizations often follow a traditional partnership management structure. The venture partners raise finance, source new deals, and sit on the board of portfolio companies. These partners usually invest in the funds themselves. The other investors might be reluctant to put up the money if the managing partners don't have their own skin in the game. The limited partners are the outside investors. They put up the bulk of the finance to form the fund, but their exposure to losses is capped at the monies they invest. Under the traditional limited partnership structure, the general partners of the fund are held responsible and personally liable for the fund's losses. But today, via the LLC corporate shield, their exposure is often capped. The partners in the fund are supported by principals and associates. More junior staff can carry out the research and perform much of the market and company due diligence. Entrepreneurs in residence are typically experienced CEOs retained by the fund to help scout new deals, 
then join and run portfolio companies. Venture partners are active in the management of portfolio companies. One or more venture partners sits on the board of directors and the board appoints a CEO to run the day-to-day -day operations. The management team reports to the CEO, who reports to the board of directors. The CEO, CFO, general counsel and outside counsel are often selected by the venture capital fund partners. Some of the management decisions are taken out of the hands of management, the CEO and even the board of directors. Through provisions in the preferred stock agreements, investors hold veto rights over decisions like the sale of the company, raising finance, loans, or any form of securities, and any change in control. Venture capital investors generally have to look through several hundred business plan submissions before they find a company they're interested in investing in. The selection process involves the intake of plans and prioritization of which plans to review. Typically, opportunities from trusted sources like other investors, lawyers, accountants, and bankers are placed at the top of the priority list. Once a plan has been selected, a meeting is arranged with the management team. This is where the entrepreneur makes the pitch to the investors. If the pitch goes well, the investor moves on to conduct initial due diligence, checking the market, the company, the team, the product, the technology, and other information that might shed light on the viability of this business opportunity. If all goes well, the venture capital partner might decide to champion this investment and present it to the firm's investment committee. With approval from the investment committee, the decision is made to present a term sheet to the company. If agreement can be reached on valuation and other provisions in the term sheet, the process moves on to more detailed due diligence. In parallel with the due diligence process, lawyers representing the company and the investor negotiate the investment agreements. If all this goes well, the agreements are executed, the deal is closed, and the funds are wired from the VC to the company's bank account. The whole process usually takes six to nine months, but you can sometimes accelerate this for a simple transaction, if both sides are motivated. Driven by their own 10-year fund windows, venture investors typically look to exit an investment within five to seven years. An appealing exit is an IPO, after which the shares can be traded to public investors. But the venture investor is usually restricted from selling shares to the public markets for 6 to 12 months. After this lockup period, investors can usually sell their shares to liquidate their investments. The decision as to whether the company will IPO or sell out in an M&A transaction rests with the investors. The voting and veto rights are attached to the investors' preferred stock shares. When the company is sold, the liquidation preference kicks in, so the investors are first in line to take the proceeds of the sale. The investors take out the monies they invested, or multiples thereof, then share the remaining profits from the sale with the founders and other holders of common stock. As the firm needs to liquidate, share the profits and close out the fund, there's pressure to exit during the fund's final few years. 
The pressure is lower for portfolio companies during the fund's first few years in life. And this is an issue of concern for some entrepreneurs. They want their own exit plans to align with the exit plans of the fund. If the entrepreneur wants five years to build the business before exit, but the fund is reaching its expiration date, there could be a boardroom dispute involving the VC pushing for an exit before the entrepreneur believes the company is ready. It doesn't work like this very often in practice, as the company is usually not ready until many years after the fund is closed to exit, but this term limit on the life of the fund can cause some conflicting interests. A successful group of venture capital partners will often have several funds running concurrently. For example, Fund 1 may be running from years 1 to 10, Fund 2 from years 3 to 13, Fund 3 from years 6 to 16. An investor in one fund does not participate in profits from the other funds unless it invests in those funds. So an investor who loses money in Fund 1 might not be too happy to find that Fund 2 is wildly successful unless that investor invests in both of them. Fund expiration and reincarnation are common sources of tension for venture capital funds, their portfolio company managers, and their limited partner investors. We have another podcast episode called Preferred Pizza Toppings that explores how venture investments are structured as preferred stock. If a pizza were stock, the holders of common stock, the founders, the entrepreneurs, and the employees would have basically a bare crust pizza. The whole idea is that with preferred stock, the investors get all these fancy toppings with cheese and all sorts of fancy rights that the common stockholders don't have. It's all in the preferred stock uh, in this preferred pizza toppings podcast. If you're seriously interested in raising finance from investors, I strongly recommend you listen to this podcast because there are some surprising strings attached to venture investments. And many entrepreneurs don't understand what they're getting into when they take funding from a VC firm. That podcast explains how the investors take control of the startup and how their share of the proceeds when a company is sold is usually much higher than you'd expect. An investor holding 20% of the shares can take 100% of the proceeds when a company is sold. So if you don't know how this works, you might want to check out that podcast called Preferred Pizza Toppings. Our Silicon Valley Business School courses on raising finance for startups, valuation, entrepreneurship, business organizations, and securities regulation all cover material you need to know when you're talking to venture capital investors. You don't have to take a full course you can quickly access the court materials from our online knowledge base. My book, Zero to IPO, is available in the Silicon Valley Business School knowledge base and covers the whole startup process, with chapters and sections focused on the process of raising venture capital funding. You're welcome to join me in my Silicon Valley Business School chat room, where I can answer questions, You'll see that we have other experts on venture investing on the svbs.co website. You can easily book one-to-one -one video conferences if you have any specific questions. 
I hope you'll join us for future podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe as you get new episodes as and when they're released. And please rate us in your podcast player, as this will help us get the word out to entrepreneurs and the other people we're trying to help with this podcast series. That's it for today. Hope you tune in to the next Silicon Valley Trends, the podcast for innovators and entrepreneurs.